Good morning and welcome to Real Life Online. My name is Graham and we started Real Life about eight years ago for people who feel far from God so they can find real life in Christ. And Super glad you're taking the time to hang out with us today. And If you're meeting in one of your Real Life at Home groups, big shout out to you guys for uh, getting together. We uh, really love seeing that kind of stuff. We've got a few things to talk about before we jump into uh, important stuff today. First of all, we are going to be hosting two Christmas Eve services this year. They'll both be online, one at 5 and one at 7. And if you're watching this, you've figured out how to find it. So mark your calendars for either 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock. We'll be live on both of those on Facebook, YouTube, and on our app and um, website as well. So plan accordingly, and we will see you guys on Christmas Eve. Also on Christmas Eve, we are going to be showing our kids video. So we've been recording kids or you've been recording your kids and sending those videos in uh, so that we're going to do a big mashup and we're going to show those on Christmas Eve. Now it's not too late. If your kid wanted to get in on that, go to our website. There's a little tab in there that'll tell you exactly what you need to do. It'll have a link to the song and then you will email that to Tiffany. Uh, we're going to get that all set up and it's just going to be a really cool way for kids to see themselves on Christmas Eve. Finally, if you're a teenager, I hope you're going to come hang out with Kayla and I tonight as we host Youth Night Live. We do this on the first of every month right now. And so this Sunday, tonight, we are doing our own Youth Night Live on the Rendezvous YouTube page. Tune in at 6 o'clock. There'll be games. There'll be trivia. we got some ridiculous videos we're going to watch as well. Uh, just a little way to, for us to mix it up and a little way for us to learn a little more about Jesus as well. Other than that, let's say a quick prayer. Father, we thank you for today, and I thank you uh, for um, just an awesome Thanksgiving holiday, and I thank you for uh, an awesome Christmas that is coming up and these times kind of in between the two where we just kind of get to be merry and bright but also stressed out and trying to figure out how it's all going to work. God, we ask that you would be a part of that more than anything. And God, we ask uh, that you would calm our minds and calm our hearts and just give us an hour right now where we can focus on you. And we ask for that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Enjoy the service. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, Merry Christmas. It, uh, it's that time of year again. It seems like we never would make it to December, but look at us. Here we go. Um, welcome, and wherever you're uh, watching from, up in the Quad Cities or in Chelan and Manson and other points around the world, we are excited to move into the Christmas season. I love Christmas. My, all the time I tell people, Thanksgiving to Christmas to the end of the year, I it's my favorite time of year. I love everything about it. I love the Christmas lights and Christmas trees. I love Christmas movies, um, Christmas music. It's okay. Um, I don't really dig people that start listening to it before Thanksgiving. There's no reason for that, but I can, I can tolerate it a little bit through the Christmas season. How about you? Maybe you're watching at home in a, in a home group or with some other people. Uh, what's, what's your favorite What's your favorite uh, Christmas carol, Christmas song? Um, I read a, an article that gave the top Christmas songs of all time and ranked them all. Um, I know I could go the rest of my life without hearing Mariah 
Carrie's uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, but it's made her millions of dollars. Let me give you a, a couple, and, and you can just play along at home and here in the studio from the Lake Champlain Supply Studios on the Lamar property. Um, let's play along. I'll give you the formal phrase of a Christmas carol, and you give me the real title. So we're taking away the Christmas glitz of it, and we're giving you the title as if it were said in a very formal way, all right? You'll get it as we play along. Um, it's not a competition, but please score yourselves at home. Here we go. Adorn the vestibule. What would that be? What Christmas carol is that? Adorn the vestibule. Yep. Deck the halls. Is correct, Graham? Graham, uh, we're keeping score in the studio. Graham is ahead 10 to nothing. Here's another one. Please yell at your answer, studio audience. Exuberance directed to the planet. Joy to the world it is. Graham takes a commanding lead. Uh, 20 to nothing to nothing. And uh, here's another one. If you're playing at home, stay with us. Fantasies of a colorless December 25th. Uh, no. Correct. Correct, Darlene. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. The score is Graham 20, Darlene 50. That was, a, that was a bonus uh, question. Here, a couple more. Still, we're playing home. Uh, keep score. I merely desire a pair of incisors. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Bam! All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Graham is tied with Darlene. Tito is in last place. He hasn't said a word since we started. Here we go. Final one. 5 p.m. to 6 a.m. without noise. Silent Night is correct. Tito wins the bonus question, and he remains in third place. Graham is in second, and of course, Darlene is our winner with 1,000 points. Good job, Darlene. You get 50 points for an answer and 950 points for just being beautiful. Uh, Silent Night is the number one Christmas song of all time. Voted by I don't know who, but it's loved throughout the world, throughout the ages in uh, 1818, the uh, song was written, and it's become part of our Christmas heritage all over the world. It's really interesting that Silent Night would describe that night that Jesus was born. Really, as we look at the birth of Jesus and the night he was born, it was a series of Silent Nights. You think about the time, the first Christmas that Jesus was born, and Joseph and Mary jumped on a donkey, we think, and they made their way to Bethlehem, which was a kind of a long trek because they had to be counted in the census, and she was pregnant, and God had come to her through an angel and said, you're a virgin, but you're pregnant. And I started thinking, and I think I pushed this too far, I started thinking, what's the similarities between that first Christmas with the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and, and everybody? And what's the similarities between the first Christmas and 2020 Christmas? And I, I came up with a few. First of all, in both cases, everyone was doing something the government told them to do that they didn't really want to do. In their case, everyone had to travel and go be counted. Here, the government tells us, most of us, to do stuff we don't want to do. We don't want to close down restaurants. A lot of us don't want to wear a mask. So there's some similarities. Uh, there's an uncertain future. In these uncertain times, we say that all the time, right? Same with Mary and Joseph. Mary is a virgin. She's going to have a baby. And she's like, what is going on here? Who, what? 
She didn't understand it all. I, I bet you there was a sense of loneliness for that first Christmas family and for us too. We can't be with who we want to be. We're separated from a lot of people we'd love to be around. Um, we talked about unprecedented events. How many times are we going to hear the word unprecedented in 2020? But same way in the first, when a virgin gets pregnant, that is unprecedented. Uh, I think it was the first time and the last time that that's happened. Um, and maybe one other one is that we're all confused. How did we get here and where are we going? I think Mary and Joseph, Joseph especially, like, what am I doing? I was engaged and now she's pregnant and I didn't do it. And, and I'm sure there's some confusion around that as well. I know there's times where maybe it's me, not you. But I think Mary and Joseph, there were times where they said, God, what the heck are you doing here? And how long is this going to go on? Uh, I've thought that many times, way back in March or whatever, when we were talking about this virus that we didn't know anything about, I said to Graham, you know what, this will all be over in a couple of weeks, it's just going to blow right past us. I was wrong. I was wrong, I didn't know anything about it. So then a month goes by, and two months, and three months, and six months, and we're like, what is going on? How long is this going to last? And God, what are you doing? Why aren't you intervening? What, what, what am I supposed to do? What's going on? So, there's a lot of similarities between that first Christmas of uncertainty and our 2020 Christmas. In reality, that first Christmas, that Christmas interrupts a series of silent nights. Silent nights that lasted more than the last nine months we've been through. What we know about the Bible is the Bible's 66 books and the Bible's not just one book some dude sat down and wrote from beginning to end. It's a bunch of different, 40 different authors, all kinds of different types of writing in it. But we've broken the Bible down into the Old Testament, at 39 books, and it was the Jewish scriptures, and we honor those as well. And then the New Testament is the other 27 books. So in between the Old Testament and New Testament, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, and then the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. In between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years of silence that the people of God, religious people that were seeking God and wanted to hear from God, at the end of Malachi, no more word of God, no more prophets of God. For 400 years, how many generations is that? For 400 years, God was silent. In the book of Malachi, the last words uh, that we hear from, from God is, I have loved you, says the Lord. That's, that's Malachi uh, uh, chapter 1. And that word there is loved you is not, I quit loving you, but it's an active verb. It's, I have loved you in the past, I currently love you, and I'm going to love you in the future. But that's kind of weird because God comes on the scene in Malachi and he says, I loved you, I've always loved you, I'm going to love you. And then he goes silent, then he disappears. It's a, it's a little disturbing that after so much interaction with God and his people and, and God with people who are seeking after him and there's interaction and there's prophets of God and there's word of God that uh, as the curtain comes down on the book of Malachi God goes silent nothing so you have to ask especially if you've lived through that time where did he go what was he doing did he just get fed up with everybody and, and take a break 
And then he got in a better mood and came back around? What, what was going on? The, the, the final message was, I've loved you, says the Lord. And then the book of Matthew opens up with, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is great news. But where has he been for 400 years? And what's with all the silence? When God goes silence, silent, what do we do? What do we do when the silence of God becomes deafening in our lives? And maybe if we understand the 400 years of silence and what God was doing, maybe we can understand that in our silent night or silent week or silent month, that God can be trusted as well. That the seasons of our life when we can't hear from God or, or, or for whatever reason aren't hearing from God, that maybe we can still trust him. Now, if you're here and that's where you're at, you're like, man, God's not coming through for me. Or in the past, he hasn't come through for you. You said, I'm done with God. Or maybe you, you've had these questions. I certainly have. Um, has God ever seemed silent to you? For sure. Has it ever seemed like it took God 400 years to answer your prayers? He seems silent and he's slow. Or worse, have you ever felt that God answers other people's prayers, but he's silent when it comes to your prayers? That he's working on everybody else's behalf, but not on yours? And that would be a horrible feeling. Has God's silence ever caused you to wonder if there even is a God? If that's your story, if that's where you find yourself, I'm so glad you're here and listening in. That disappointment, confusion, when you tried to count on God and it didn't turn out the way you wanted, a lot, of that, a lot of those times, that leads us to a bad place. And I've been there before. See, this morning, I just want to take the next couple of minutes to answer this question. What is God doing in the silence? What is God doing when we don't understand or we can't hear him or see him or, 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 or feel him? And what do we do in the silence? What's God doing in the silence and what do we do in the silence? Because the worst thing is, and I want to encourage you, don't confuse God's silence with God's absence. And as we look at this 400 years of silence and what God was doing in it, maybe we can gain some hope and know that God is maybe working on our behalf. Because just because God appears or feels silent doesn't mean he's absent. In my life, there are times where I don't understand what God's doing. I'm praying he's not answering the way I want. I feel no leading from him at times. And in my experience, there's two bad things that can happen. I can take control. When I panic, because God's not coming through, I think, okay, I got this. I'm an accomplished person. I have an education. I have talents. I can do this. And for a while, that works really well. Like, hey, look at me. I, got, I can do this. I can do this. Watch this. I can do this with this. I, can, I, I got lots of ability. And at some point at the end of that road, I get to the point where I can't do it anymore. And then I'm even more disappointed because I gave my best effort and it wasn't enough. So you either take control or you take off. It's like, hey, if God's not going to talk, if God's not going to be the way I want him to be, if God's not going to come through the way I need him to, I'm out of here. This morning, I just want to encourage you to lean into God and trust. And I know that sounds really preachy at this point and really cliche, but just give me a couple minutes because I think we can see in the first Christmas story a way that we can trust God in our story today. So 
What was God doing? During those 400 years between Malachi, where God says, yeah, I love you, and then like a, a bad date disappears, and I think the kids call that ghosting, where you're like, hey, uh, let's go out on a date. And you go out on a date, and hey, it seems really great. Well, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. I, okay, we love each other. And then the person never calls you back, never contacts you, never texts you, never DMs you. I don't even know. That seems like that's what God did. Hey, I'm all in here. I love you guys. And then he disappears. But what we have, we don't have any verses between Malachi and Matthew. But what we have is recorded human history. So if you're like, I don't believe in God, or I don't really believe the Bible, it's full of inaccuracies, and how do you know really who wrote it, where it came from? Okay, let me give you some historical facts that all people, not Christian or religious or church people, that all people would agree that during those 400 years, three historical events happened that changed the world and prepared the world for a great, great gift. Don't want to bore you. Let me give you a little, little history. 360 AD, uh, there was a guy named Philip uh, 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 Macedon in ancient Greece. He took over and he united Greece and made Greece a, a, a world empire. We don't know about him, but we do know his son. Alexander the Great was the greatest military commander of all time. He conquered anyone and everyone. He deferred, the, defeated the Persian Empire, um, and he was in charge. And uh, even though he struggled at 33, he died when he was 33, probably he was an alcoholic. He had accomplished everything in life, and he was empty. But before he died, he demanded that all the known world speak a common language, that everybody would speak Koine Greek. So that wherever you traveled, whatever you wrote, everyone would be able to understand the writings and the language so that there was a a unified world so everyone could communicate. That was a big deal. Because if you've ever heard about Jesus or the Christmas story, really it's because of Alexander the Great. That the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. That the language that the message of Jesus was was, uh, communicated in was through Koine Greek whether it was written out or communicated person to person. That was a big deal. That any time after Jesus showed up on earth, gave up his life on the cross, was buried, rose again, ascended into heaven, then people who believed in Jesus were unleashed as missionaries throughout the world. The reason they could travel freely and share the good news about Jesus Christ and the hope in him is because everyone spoke the same language. Once the, the Roman Empire took over, two other great things happened. There was complete peace. There was a, a, a Roman military peace. No wars. It's referred to as the, the Pax Romana, that every, the whole world is at peace. So you could travel without fear of being attacked. You could travel around all the known world without, anyone, uh, without an enemy, a known enemy. The other thing that happened is, that there was a a road and transportation system put in place that wasn't there before. So you could travel further and faster throughout the known world. In the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, that's what was going on. And we think, that's not that big a deal. But what if God was at work behind the scenes? What if God was at work creating a common language and peace so you could move throughout the world in safety and roads and transportation so you could do that swiftly and accurately? 
Maybe God was at work behind the scenes. It's like you go to a, a musical or a play. Maybe you're going to go see Wicked at the Fifth Avenue in Seattle. Well, you watch the, the opening scenes and you're, the first act is fantastic and the curtain goes down. You go after intermission, do your thing, come back. When the curtain goes up, it's a different scene behind there. It's changed. That's kind of what happened in the, in the first Christmas. That the curtain goes down in Malachi, and we're like, what is going to happen? When the curtain comes back up in Matthew 1, it's a different world. That the world has been created perfectly to spread the good news and message about Jesus Christ. Before that time, it was logistically impossible. The curtain went down, God goes to work. The curtain rises up, and the world is perfectly positioned to hear. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who we talk about all the time, who wrote, uh, was one of the first missionaries and, and started a bunch of churches and was a, benef uh, it was a benefactor of having a common language and, a, and um, travel in peace and a road and transportation system. He used that. So towards the end of his life, as he's writing to churches that he started, he looks back on everything that had happened. Maybe he even looked back over 400 years. And he says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to rescue those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That Paul says, at the perfect time, at the right time, when everything was completely ready, Jesus showed up. That God had prepared the way and prepared the world so that when Jesus came on the scene and he shows up, not just as some dude, but he shows up and his purpose is to be the rescuer of you and me. That this, the law, the, the pain, the, 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 the anguish of sin and junk in our lives, he was sent to rescue us from that. And the reason that message got out and got to you and me as you sit here today is because the world was ready and prepared to hear it and it got delivered quickly. So what do we do? What do we do? As we look at what God was doing in that 400 years of silence, maybe we can trust them in our silent night or weeks. Maybe it has felt that this pandemic, God's been silent for eight, nine months. What do we do? So let me give you a couple things as we wrap up in responding in the silence. Um, we see what God was doing in 400 years. What do we do with our silent night and week? God has a track record to be trusted, even though maybe you're in the middle of something painful, and I don't want to diminish that. You're going through something difficult. Maybe it's a, a, a struggle with your kid or a struggle in your marriage or, or a health struggle or, or, or a financial struggle. But maybe God can be trusted even though we don't see what he's doing right now. What should we do in the silence? When you hear God's silence and feel his absence, trust his presence. I know that's super tough to do. Because it has to go beyond our circumstances and our feelings. And maybe it's as simple, maybe this is too simple. Maybe it's as simple as saying, all right, God, for 400 years, you were doing your business and getting things ready and preparing the way for Jesus to be my rescuer. You can certainly handle this today. And I'm going to trust you, even though I don't feel like it. And I'm going to trust you, even though the circumstances of my life do not point to anything positive. 
but I'm going to trust you that the curtain has gone down and you are working on my behalf. And today, tomorrow, the curtain's coming up and it's going to be a new day. How do we do that? This is a good question to ask yourself. This is difficult. If you're a regular follower of Jesus, this is a great question. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? Even if you don't feel it, even though your circumstances don't say, but what would you do? What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? Because Matthew tells us when the curtain comes back up and there's new hope for the world, Matthew tells us that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if that's true, if in that first silent night, when God enters the world as a baby, Jesus, and they call his name Emmanuel, they called him Emmanuel for, for a reason, that God would be with us, that God was with them then and God is with us now. What would you do if you're confident that Emmanuel, that God Almighty, that Jesus was with you? What would you do? How would that, how, how would that make a difference? I look back in my life and there's lots of silent nights. There's lots of difficult times where I've doubted God's work in my life. Uh, I think it's normal. Doubts are good because doubts lead you to questions and questions lead you to answer and answers can lead you to truth and the truth can set you free. But still in the midst of a silent night in doubting, it's really difficult. I remember back um, in a transition before we started real life. Most people had no idea what was going on before our first service eight and a half years ago at Real Life. But a good five years before we ever started, there was an unrest in my heart that didn't get any answers. I knew that I loved being a youth pastor, but God was calling me to do something different. But he didn't tell me what that was. And so I, for a year, I just struggled knowing that this wasn't what I'm supposed to keep doing. So every morning I'd open my Bible and I'd think, okay, God, tell me what it is today. Tell me what it is today. Nothing. And I got, uh, oh, at worst, I was probably grouchy. At best, I was unsettled. Uh, wasn't good for my wife and kids. I couldn't find my way. I didn't understand because God was silent. And at times he felt absence. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. So a series of events happened. Um, I remember I did a, a funeral for a, a teenage gal that really threw me off track. I thought God was going to do something big through it, and he didn't act and come through the way I wanted him to. Um, I started looking around at youth ministry and looking at middle schoolers and saying, man, I don't want to be with you guys at all. God bless Graham. Um, for me, that wore off. Where I used to love middle schoolers, that kind of wore off on me. So then I didn't have any other options except the church I was at at North Shore said, why don't you do this? And part of my job was to run Celebrate Recovery, to help people through a 12-step process with Jesus as being our higher power. And I thought, okay, I'll do that. I can help people. I wasn't excited about it. I just thought, what the heck? But that was during those four years of doing Celebrate Recovery. That was God's silent time working on my heart and my soul. If I'd never led Celebrate Recovery gone through Celebrate Recovery, worked on issues that I had that I didn't want to work on or didn't even know I had, if I'd never done that, if that time of unsettledness, of unrest, of, of angst, if I hadn't gone through that, I never would have been ready to launch real life. Finally, after going through that, it was like this light shone up, maybe a star in the east. Maybe I felt like a shepherd 
stuck with my sheep and all of a sudden there's this bright light in the sky because out of that darkness, out of that, that struggle out of doubt of not knowing what God was doing in my life, it couldn't have been more clear when God said, start a church for people who are far from God and do that in Chelan. And I thought, by that time, I was like, this is easy. Four years I've been searching for an answer. This was easy. So I share it with Darlene and she says, let's go. I share it with my closest friends. They said, let's go. But my whole point is, I never would have got to this place working for the best church in the world with the best staff in the world, having the best job in the world. I never would have gotten to this place if I hadn't gone through the dark nights of silence where God was preparing my heart and my soul and I had no idea he was doing it because I couldn't see it. But looking back, it's so exciting. But in the midst of it, it's difficult. So what do we do? What do we do? Let me give you a, a, a couple of things. First of all, um, share your silent night frustration. If you're in the middle of, of a, a fr- frustrating time right now or have one in the past, speak that out loud. Say that. Speak it out to God. Tell him you're frustrated. Speak it to one of your buddies and one of your friends. You, you, you got to get that out. Uh, um, a month ago, I, I shared during sermon time that I had really been struggling, got depressed and, and uh, stressed out and, and it just crept up on me. I didn't even know it was coming. And in that process, I, I was stuck. And it wasn't until one person noticed there was a problem and reached out to me, gave me a call and said, what is going on? And immediately as I started talking about it, through some tears, the control of that thing started to lessen. Met with my pastor buddies. I talked with my wife. And as I talked about it, the power of that thing lessened. So I'm saying, through experience, talk don't get on Facebook and talk. Find a friend you trust. Shout out your frustration to God. Shout out your frustration to a buddy. Just get it out there. Second, in the midst of a silent night time, just choose to do the next right thing. Because there's a lot of bad options. You can look around and say, I don't think God's real. I don't think God cares about me. Uh, if he did, things would be different. And you look around, you want to take control or you want to take off. That can lead you to a bad place. In fact, it can lead you to such a bad place, you'll get to the end of that road and you'll wish you were back at the silent nighttime because you've created so many problems that you can't undo. So I would just challenge you in the midst of being tempted to do a lot of different stuff that probably not going to pay off for you, choose to do the next right thing. And finally, help a friend lean in and trust. And maybe that's you lean in and trust. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you understand the good news to great message that's been spread throughout the world about the rescue of Jesus Christ. Man, lean in and help someone else lean in. Find some time to share that. It was always meant to be shared. We have a common language. You have friends that understand. But maybe that's you. And I would encourage you, hopefully, as your friend, to lean in and trust Jesus. Maybe lean in and trust Jesus again. Because you gave up on him. Life got too painful. As we enter in the Christmas time, maybe it's a good time to start over again for the first time and say, listen, let's start at the beginning. That God loved the world and he proved that by breaking through the silence of a dark time and providing what we need. That, G, that God moved heaven and earth. He moved heaven, meaning he sent Jesus and he moved earth. He created world events so that the world was prepared that God moved heaven and earth so that you and I could experience true relationship with him. I'm praying that this Christmas season, 
as you see the nativity, as you see the Christmas lights, as you experience Christmas trees and decorating and Christmas cookies, that in the midst of that, you would be reminded that God, Emmanuel, is with you today and every day in the future. Let's pray together. God, thanks. Thanks for um, Jesus. And uh, thanks for moving events in our life and, and preparing things in our life. We can't even see you operating, but you're working on our behalf for our good. And God, I ask that you help us not give up as we struggle through whatever we're going through, that we don't give up. And God, I ask that we would experience and see and feel and know your presence through this Christmas season in the most powerful way we ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. Again, Merry Christmas. Thanks for being with us. Billy's going to be on a virtual uh, home group. You can see that if you're on Facebook. Um, thanks so much for tuning in and for all you do, especially you, you uh, home, home group leaders. Really appreciate it. Have a great, great week. See ya. Love ya. Bye. Thanks again for joining us today. Don't forget, teenagers, I will see you guys tonight, 6 o'clock on the Rendezvous YouTube page. Can't wait to hang out with you guys, play some ridiculous games. We're going to have a great time. Other than that, we'll see you next week.